0: Hey, this is Tolly Wilkes of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. Today I want to talk to you about cropping. Uh, you guys do it. I do it. We all do it. We, uh, we take Instagram and selfies and Facebook and whatever else, and uh, we, we crop and we edit, and we filter, and we do all of these things to uh, hopefully enhance, uh, aka lie to uh, the rest of the world uh, about the situations that we're in. And uh, as I was away this week, we had a different series title, similar theme, but as I was away this week, I just um, contacted uh, back here and I said, hey, we're going to call this Church Unfiltered. Um, We have a, a world all around us that has genuine questions, concerns, real life issues, and uh, I noticed it when I was down in in um, in the Keys. Key West is fun. My wife loves a beach. I think our next trip is going to be to Cocoa or somewhere because that's just what she loves. She just loves sand. Uh, I enjoy other things besides um, uh, only sand, but uh, we were down there and she was like, what's the big deal? I think Key West is kind of like Baltimore. It's quirky, And it's got all its little pockets. Um, But what I was overwhelmed with is my brain, it just moves a lot. And so I started kind of just taking in things and going on trips and doing activities. And um, we got out to where we were uh, in the water doing our water sports activity. And we did parasailing and all that was awesome. But I was thinking about the stories I was hearing behind the story. So everybody that you're interacting with, it's a transactional relationship, right? So the Uber person... Uh, If you're not careful, you can just take the Uber and get out. And you've had a transaction. And you go and you go parasailing or whatever. And the person driving the boat, you're only going to see them for 30 minutes or so. It was a transaction. And you go and you order some food at a restaurant. And you've got that waitress or waiter. And you've only got them for an hour or so. It's a transaction. And if you're not careful, your entire life around you, especially when you're doing something like being a tourist, your your entire life could just be, let's have a series of transactions without ever really getting to know one another. I don't have to care about you. You don't have to care about me. And in our lives, not just when you're on vacation, but in our lives, how many of us, we find ourselves in a series of emotional and relational transactions without ever going beyond surface with people. But I couldn't help it. I'm just sitting there and i'm listening to stories and i'm picking up bits and pieces and i find out that 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 if you guys know me when i go through a drive-through i'll find the person's life story in like a minute and a half when you're waiting for your burger so it's not that hard but but i i ask i ask people where they're from and what's how they get here how they land especially in key west and all that And, and i'm finding out that my uber drivers none of them were from the same country and none of them were from the united states just about all of our uber drivers and by the way we we could have bought a car for Uber this week. But, 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 but with all those, it's like, hey, I'm from Cuba and I'm from Venezuela and, and, and I'm from, from Spain and Argentina. And so you're talking to people, the lady who served us breakfast at a, a beautiful breakfast joint, she's from Spain, been here two years. She's worried right now this week because her husband's going to get new assignment papers. He's in the military and they're going to have to move. And she's like, I'm in a new country and I don't even know where I'm going to be living. And as you go through life, you begin to realize that everybody you have a transaction with has a story. And that story really matters to them. That story is who they are. And at the moment, they're only in your face and in your space for a few minutes. But they have a soul. And that soul has an ongoing story. And you've just dropped into a part of their story. And if we're not careful, we can go through life and we can just live life on a transactional basis with everybody around us and miss the fact that God is writing stories everywhere that we go. You know, what, the, what discourages me is I think of the church at large, capital C Church, and I think of Christ. And, and I think of this guy who was our, um, the guy hooking us into our harnesses for the parasailing. We were talking uh, briefly and stuff, and he said, uh, he said, what do you do? And I told him what I do, and he's like, you know, there are more uh, churches and bars per capita in Key West than anything, anywhere else in the world. And I said, well, bro, there there are more buildings. There are more church buildings here in Key West, maybe, per capita, but there aren't more churches per capita. Why? Because unfortunately you do look around and you see lots of buildings. But it's a dead religion. There came a point when the the message of the gospel, the message that was being preached no longer matched the people's stories that were looking for hope and, and inspiration and 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 finding God. And so as a result, you have shells of structures that used to represent something, but the stories never matched. And so now they're transactional too. For a lot of those, you can go in and you, you can leave a little tip and take a few pictures of the inside and you see a plaque. Here's what once happened here 250 years ago. Why? Because it's all transactional. And the message isn't matching the story of the people who need the message most. I I pray that we, we would not be, you and I individually, and then collectively, we would not miss the stories that are being written around us. That we would not miss our opportunity to be able to share the hope of the Gospel in the midst of all these stories. We need to be real with people. The church is so filtered. The church is so... Full of cutting and cropping and, and, and filtering and, and, and we're so full of all of these tools we use to try to look a certain way that, that we miss out on the real life. And what I've discovered is that if you get, fall in love with the filtered version and the cropped and edited version, you can find yourself in love with something that you're not going to see every day. And then when you look and you just say, "Wow, I fell in love with the idea of worship that was on that video from from that band from Australia," and I, and I watched it, and that's what worship is. Well, if that's how you only see it, then you're only going to get that once a year at their conference. Well, I I, I, I fall in love with community. When everybody's breaking bread and everybody's giving up their possessions and we're all hanging out and holding arms, singing kumbaya, and I felt, man, I just want that community in my life. Well, if you fall in love with that, then you've fallen in love with Acts chapter two, not seven or seventeen. And so we've got to be careful not to fall in love with the 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 cropped and edited unfiltered or filtered versions. We've got to learn to fall in love with who the church can be when it's unfiltered. We've got to fall in love with who the people are around us when they're not at their best. When they're not dressed up like they are on Sunday. We've got to learn to fall in love with people when they let us down. We've got to learn to fall in love with people that don't smell perfect. That don't have the the best medical care. That don't have the best neighborhoods or don't have... The the right upbringing. So what we look around and we see this world, we can fall in love. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. But many of us, we just see a crowd. We're looking for the shot. We're looking for the snapshot moment we can take. We're we're trying to find God in the cropped and edited and filtered parts. But here God is. He's in every single story that's being written. I want us to leave an imprint with our lives. But the way we do it is that when we are falling in love with the church unfiltered, just as it is, and falling in love with everybody who comes through our doors as they are. Grab your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 4. If you have our Bible app, you can open up the app down at the bottom right. It'll say Events. Click that button. Open up this location and your notes will be there for today. John chapter 4, it uh, gets into some of this. It's a story you may know, but I want to zoom in and talk about some of the crops. And uh, I usually don't do a whole uh, uh, lot of titles, but if I were to title today's message, it would be Cut the Crop. Cut the Crop. Just cut the crop. So here's the deal. Today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about where Jesus tells us to cut the crop on some stuff. A lot of us, we're so crop heavy, we need to cut the crop. I'm just going to keep saying crop until you get it. All right. so here we go. John chapter 4 verse 7. It says this, A woman from Samaria, everybody say Samaria. Samaria. You need to put there whatever it is that neighborhood is or that people group that you don't relate to at all. Or maybe you even despise a woman from that town, a woman from those side of the tracks, a woman from that neighborhood, a woman from that socioeconomic class, a woman from that type of family, a woman from Samaria, because everybody in that that day would have looked at the Samaritans and said, you know what, we don't want anything to do with them. But a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, what you had in this, this time was, was a group of people who intermarried. They, they married outside of the Jewish faith. And so you had kind of pure Jews, and then you had these kind of half-Jews. And so they, 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 they intermarried and in doing so, they became Samaritans. They had some kind of historical tie to Judaism, but they really were shunned because they weren't pure Jews. And so as a result, what happened is the people that were purely Jewish looked at the Samaritans and cropped them out and said, I'm not going to deal with you. And so when they would take their family photos, guess who was not included? It was the Samaritans. But I have an ancestral right. I have a bloodline. No, no, no. You're cropped out now. And so her surprise about how Jesus behaved was to come to her and engage her, have a conversation. Not only that, but she was a woman. A man in midday would not be caught talking to a woman that was not his relative. But Jesus, he cut the crop. He said, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to walk around finding my differences. We live in a society right now, this morning, there are a group of people in Washington, D.C. that are still trying to uphold white nationalism. And they are a small and dying, kicking and dying um, bunch. But but that group is nothing. They, They cannot claim anything towards Christ. Christ is one who dropped the crop who just look and said, you know what, I'm not going to allow division to reign supreme. In fact, what John said is that in the book of John, it says that you and I, John 17, you and I are supposed to look to unity the way that the Father, Son, and Spirit were unified as one. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I'm supposed to lift up others above myself. In every difference, my job as a Christian is to build a bridge and not a wall. And so you and I, we've got to get to a place to where we say, man, if I am a Christ follower I've got to cut the crop so this woman she was concerned like how in the world who is this guy he introduced himself by cutting the crop you and I we need to cut the crop and return to loving kindness return to loving kindness you and I if we're going to be relevant to the stories that are all around us if we're going to be relevant to the the Spaniard who's saying hey I don't know where my home will be or, or to the Cuban, or to the Venezuelan, if we're going to, uh, or to the uh, African American. Yesterday, there's a video that came out um, yesterday. An African American was was beaten by the police in Baltimore City. And, and if you and I don't show compassion to understand, you know, there, there's a lot going on in other um, cultures and people groups that dramatically affects how they can walk and, and talk and live every day. If we don't open up ourselves to some of that then we're going to be cropping our lives down to where we we are a shadow of who God could use us to be. We've got to cut the crops. Jesus came up and began a dialogue with this woman who other men wouldn't have. Jesus came up and and began a discussion with a Samaritan, whereas others around Him wouldn't have. And will it take a risk? Yeah, it'll take a risk for you to, to look stupid a little bit. But you know what I've learned over time? Is that people appreciate you making an effort. Even if you stumble, even if you say, I just don't understand. Hey, you know what? The best thing you can do is just raise your hand at the beginning of the conversation and say, look, I don't fully understand. I grew up here. I lived with that type of person. My family was this. I don't fully get it. But I want you to know my heart. I really genuinely want to become friendly with everybody around me. And God has placed you in my life. Let's get to know each other. You and I have to cut the crop and just get back to loving kindness. The Jews had cut off Samaritans. They didn't consider them pure and clean and close to God. They cropped out the Samaritans. We hold a a religious uh, test up too much as Christians as a way to find difference. Can you think of a more different situation than a pure, righteous, holy Creator God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son who came into this sinful, fallen, broken, wretched world. Can you think of a more dramatic difference than holiness coming to live and be among sinful humanity? There's not a a larger gap, there's not a larger bridge than sin being separated from holiness. And that's exactly the bridge that Jesus crossed to relate to you and to me. So that you and I, the scripture says, we would know we have a high priest who is not unable to, to understand what we go through. And so every, every chance you have at a bridge or a wall in your life when relation, in relational capital, you need to take the bridge. You and I need to take the bridge and say, you know what? I need to find a way. We're both human. I need to find a way to relate to you. Let me ask, who are your Samaritans? Who are my Samaritans? Think about the last week. Think about the last month. Who are the people you've chosen to be around? Do they look similar to you? If if we're like most people, they're going to be in a similar socioeconomic bracket. They're going to make about the same amount of money. If if they don't, it's because of age and maybe that they have, they're in the same pattern that we are. They come from similar family styles than we do. Or, Or activity, or stage of life. We have a consumeristic Christianity at this point to where Christians themselves can't relate to other Christians because we say, well, you're older than me. Well, you're younger than me. Well, you have kids and I don't have kids. Well, I'm single and you're married. And what we've done is we've so cropped down our own lives, even inside of the church of the living God. and every church in America, it's this way at this point. We've got divisions for kids and youth and children and nursery and singles. And do you have a Bible study for single white women between 21 and 25? Right? And and, and we're like, that's what I want. Uh, do we Do we have a group that I can meet with that's just newly married? Well, how new? Up to three years. Well, we've married five years. Oh, <laughs> you're out. Right? Like we, We've got this mentality where we look for division and look for reason to not communicate and look for reason to not build bridges and look for reasons to not be friends. And then we crop it down so much that our world becomes a postage stamp size. And then we say, God, I'm lonely. He looks around and he's like, I've given you 7.4 billion potential friends. And you have so cropped out everybody by every chance you can get. And then you cry out to me that you're lonely. And it's no wonder that you can go and you can tour, whether in Europe or America, you can go and you can tour the relic of the church building. Because the people inside didn't say, let's live out a faith that does what Jesus did, which is jump over the gaps and builds relationships and shares the love of the glorious gospel of God. Let's not do that. Let's find out how different and segmented we can be. And when we're different and segmented, let's triumph that. Let's celebrate that as if it's the only one. And I think there are going to be a lot of people in heaven that get there and are routinely disappointed. I heard a pastor ask the question, it's a fair question, what are you going to do when the Japanese start to lead worship? Just going to sit that one out? What are you going to do when the Africans get up and it's their turn to lead worship in heaven? Oh, I don't understand the song. It's it's not Hillsong. song. Like we What are you going to do with people that that lived in the 1800s get up and sing a song? uh oh, that's not contemporary enough for me. We'll just wait. Like we're we're going to get to heaven and realize like, oh my gosh, we are so small minded when it comes to the glory of God. Like God has been with people from every generation and every culture and every social class and every season and stage of life. And God loves everybody. And I love one body. And boy, well, we have to do some repenting. But what if we could change that now? What if heaven could be a lot more on earth than we realize? What if just like what I said about our vacations, our regular lives are more aligned with our passions and joys to where we don't have to run the vacation? What if what if we don't have to just come on Sunday to find inspiration? What if we could live with inspiration because of every story we encounter on the street? What if our servers and our wait staff and the the check in lady at the the doctor's office what if these people all of a sudden their stories mattered to us and what if they ask the question why do you care about me why are you taking an interest in me I, I'm I'm just the person that fills in your prescription I'm just the person that brings you your water I'm I'm just the person who why do you care about me The Samaritan looked at Jesus and just said, what? why do you care about me? You're, you're a Jew. You're not supposed to care about me. I'm a Samaritan. You're, you're a man. I, I, you're not supposed to care about me. I'm a woman. You're violating all of the cultural norms of our time. Like, Why do you care about me? But that's exactly what he did. He began a conversation. Who's your, who's your Samaritan? Is it a Republican? <gasps> Is it a Democrat? How about somebody in the LGBTQA community? How about somebody who's a cultural conservative? I got him. How about somebody that voted for Clinton? How about somebody that voted for Trump? Right? Like, who is your people? Who are the people that you just go, No! Not them! They stand for nothing that I stand for. I got news for you. I believe Jesus would walk across the room. Do you? I believe Jesus would walk across the room. And you said, well, no. You don't understand. Like, they're pro-abortion. He loved the people that were killing him. Like, I I think Jesus would walk across the room, no no matter the person, no matter the behavior, no matter the place they come from, Jesus would walk across the room and he would engage them. And so he looked at the Samaritan woman and he begins to talk to her and he shows her dignity. And she begins to ask questions of him like, like how in the world, why would you be talking to me? And Jesus is like, you know what, I'm I'm not going to crop you out as if you don't exist. We've got to ask God to expand our circle of friends so then we can pray for them. We can discuss our faith with them. We can play games. We can share entertainment. We can get to know their stories because ultimately it's our job that that we pray that everybody would meet Jesus, but it's our job when they've met Jesus to spur that person on. But if we crop them out before they even know the Lord or before we even know if they know the Lord, if we just crop those people out, we can never get to commands like Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. That says, in, let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works. Not neglecting the meeting together as are in, some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How can we get to that if we crop people out before they even meet the Lord? The calling of the Christian's life is to be a loving reflection of the glory of God, to tell your story, to share your story, to spur one another on towards good works, to live out the Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 callings and commands that God has for you. He created you as a masterpiece for His glory and His purpose. And here's the deal none of us, nobody in this room, started out very glorious. And yet, we crop people out all the time I am so glad that mr. Don didn't crop me out when I was running the streets doing dirt and treating people the way I was treating them I'm so glad that he cropped me into his story John 4.10, Jesus answered the woman, He said, if you know the gift of God, who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well. He drank from it himself, him and his livestock they did. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him, look at this, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to Him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to be thirsty and I have to keep coming back to draw water here. We have to cut the crop, church. Return to the Spirit-led life. We've got to cut the crop and return to the Spirit-led life. What I mean is that you and I, when we come to a faith in Christ, at some point you recognize and realize that A, I admit that I'm a sinner. B, I believe Jesus died for that sin so that I would not have to pay its consequence. Sin's consequence is separation from God forever. God is a gentleman. God will give you forever whatever it is you want on earth. If on this earth you want Separation from him, he says, fine, love you so much. I'm going to let you have for all of eternity, whatever it is you want. And if you want separation from me, you got separation from me. That's an eternity separated from God. But we admit that we're sinners. We believe that Christ died on that cross to forgive us of our penalty for that sin. And then we see, we confess, Jesus, you are Lord of this life. You are, you've bought me. Your atoning sacrifice on the cross paved the way and paid the way so that I don't have to earn heaven myself. You have earned heaven on my behalf. And that's the essence, my friends, of Christianity. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that a penalty was paid by Jesus for that sin so that I don't have to. And therefore, I flip the script and I give Jesus my sinful life and He gives me His atoning sacrifice. That's Christianity. Now, outside of that, what we've done is we've added to it. So when we come to faith, we come to faith. We come to faith in humility. We come to faith in brokenness. We come to faith knowing that we can offer nothing in salvation except for the sin that made it possible and made it necessary. And then we come to faith. And then all of a sudden, here's what happens. You and I, we get caught up in the church. We come to faith in Christ. And then somewhere along the way, we get caught up in religion. And so here's this woman. She's talking to Jesus and Jesus is like, you know, the living water I could give you would just cause eternal life to spring up in you and you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to keep looking for this living water I'm talking about. And if you read her story, all she can, she can never get to the spiritual. She's still in the physical. She's still in the flesh. And all she can think about and all she can see and talk about is the fleshly side. And so she's like, hey, can you give me some of that living water? Where is your jar to to, to draw from? Like, how are you going to get this living water? She stays in the physical. And he's talking spiritual the whole time. And he says, hey, you could have this living water. This living water will well up in you. There'll be eternal life. It'll be great. You really should just fall in love with the one you're talking to. But you know what happens is we come to faith in humility and brokenness and we recognize that we need the Spirit of God to save us, that we cannot save ourselves. But then somewhere along the way, religion comes in. We're told here's where you have to show up and this is what you have to read and this is what you have to do and that's where you have to go and this is where you have to serve and this is how much you have to... Give, and then this is where you got to do on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and Sunday mornings. And you need to go to a, hey, you might as well put your kids in a private school. And then when they're in that private school, you got to do a Bible study. You know? And before long, you're wrapped up into religion. And your goal goes from saying, Lord, save me a sinner, to Lord, save me from sinners. when we do that, when we do that, we're cropping out the Holy Spirit of God. Because if the Holy Spirit of God, if His mission is to save all the lost souls, then anyone who is following the Spirit of God in them will also be on that mission with Him. but we get wrapped up into religion. And religion suffocates the Spirit of God in us. And my friends, there is no life to be found in dead religion. There is no life found in dead religion. I shared about my friend I met on the boat He was my friend because he latched me in and sent me up 400 feet, so I had to trust that he liked me at least until he got me back down. But I mentioned that he said that hey, we have more churches here per capita, and I said no, you you probably have more buildings per capita. Why? Because the evidence of the Spirit of the living God has long been gone out of those buildings. Dead religion is a civil religion. When I go preach in the South, a lot of times pastors will have me in and they say, "Hey, you're the, you know, well, not as much anymore, but you're the young guy and you're 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 the guy that, that does urban ministry and you go to Africa and and you start churches from zero and like you're you're the frontline guy. Like, come in my church and stir some junk up." And I'm like, "Sweet. What do you want me to fuss at him about?" And you know what they beg for? They say, please, help them understand the difference between faith and moralism. Because in the South, they still have this residue of a thing called moralism. It's a civil religion. And what that means is essentially, you don't have the faith of the living God inside of you. You don't trust in Jesus with your soul. You just want to look good for people. And so in the South, what you have is you have a culture that really genuinely, when it all comes down to it, they don't give a rat's rear end about faith and morality and Jesus. But, so what they do, though, is they want to put on appearances. I've got to look good. What's beautiful and refreshing about Baltimore is people up here will tell you to, their, to your face that they don't like you. So you don't have to worry about that too much here. But you know where else civil religion is? Civil religion is in pop music. When the artists can go from saying "I'm going to bend this person over and do this to him" to "Hey, only God can judge me," that's civil religion. That's this idea that God's really not going to judge you, but we say that we're religious. It's when people get a get a, a cross tattoo on their on their on their chest, or or when people will wear Christian jewelry, even though they don't. Really care about it. It's civil religion. It's a dead religion. It's not real. Country songs filled with civil religion. There's literally songs that's, was it cuss on them Saturdays? I don't know. Church on them Sundays. The whole point is is that we can get locked up in the civil religion if we're not careful so easy. And you know what's one of the greatest dangers to being locked up in a religion instead of a relationship? being in church. Guess why? Well, I, I have a box check that my friend doesn't. I, I go to captivate. And before long, if you put too many checks in your week, you start to go, I'm pretty good. I'm good. I mean, I threw three or four dollars in. I mean, preacher's good. I mean, good night. He wears t-shirts from Key West. He doesn't need much money. Like, it's... It, I'm just joking, but the point is, like we 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 create kind of this false sense of like we're good, and it's dead. We've got to get back to to living the spirit-led life, seeking and pursuing the spirit of God, starting to say, Lord, move in my life. Lord, call me to repentance. Lord, tell me when I'm not okay with you. Lord, give me a, a an understanding of who you are. Lord, cause me to to be bowed over over my sin. Lord, remind me of the things that put You on the cross. Lord, Lord, call me to repentance. Lord, draw me near. Lord, call me to see the person in my life this week that needs that $5 more than I do. Like that's being led by the Spirit of God. I've tried to teach my kids a need seen as an assignment given, meaning that not every need that's in the world is going to be seen by your eyes. You're, you're going to pass by some and God may not call you, but there'll be other times when you can't help it. You start to walk by that person that you've walked by a thousand times or maybe an archetype of a person that you've walked by. But something inside of you stirs your soul to say, ask how they're doing. And being led by the Spirit of God is when you wake up and you say, Spirit of God, have your way in me this week. Have your way in my life today. One of the things I love about unplanned vacations, I just like to wake up and just say, what do I feel like today? But that's supposed to be what your life is every day with Jesus. It's supposed to be. You wake up and you just say, Lord, meet me fresh today Do something new at my job today. Help me to see somebody or hear a story or care about somebody I didn't care about yesterday. Reinvigorate this soul. But we get tied down in religion. And it sucks the life out of us. And it's worthless. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband. Tell him to come here. The woman answered him, I don't have a husband. I love this story. I don't have time to break into it today, but it's so great. Just call me. We'll talk. I have no husband. Jesus said, "You're right in saying it. I love it." Jesus is like, "Yeah, thanks for lying to God. You, are right in saying I have no husband. For you have have you had five, and you're the only one, the one that you're with now. He's not even your husband." So what you've said is t- technically true. Can you just imagine this, like go, lying to God and have God being like, yeah. You get away with the technicality. <laughs> the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Flatter will get you everywhere. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem where you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Cut the crop. Return a transparent living. Return a transparent living. You see, we've got to get to a place to where we can not any longer try to crop and massage every picture of our lives Because the reality is, is that the real healing is in the parts where where you're transparent. The reality is, is that you've been hurt somewhere. The reality is, you've got a story. You've got these parents. You've got that situation. You had that person in your life when you were young. That person did that thing to you. That person did hurt you. That person did steal from you. That person did lie. That person did break up with you. And whatever it is, it's a part of your story. But as long as you crop your story down to where it feels good, you're not being honest about the full story. And so you and I, we can't go to God with this version of ourselves that we've lied and manipulated and created, but the reality is there's a bigger story. We crop so much out of our stories that we don't even realize why we're doing the things that we're doing. If you go to any good counselor, a really good counselor is going to take time to discover more parts of your story. And they'll let you give all the surface stuff. They don't believe. I'll just help you out. They don't believe you. They're like, hey, why are you here? Well, I'm here for this. You're not here for that. But I'll let you talk. Oh, how do you feel? Oh, I kind of feel this. No. You feel something else. You just don't realize it's two or three connected feelings away. This is what's coming up. This is what's on the surface. This is how it's playing itself out in your life right now. But really. The real issue is off screen. And so here's this woman. She's trying to stay surface. Oh, I'm I'm like Beyonce. I'm with the single ladies. Not married. And he's like, yeah, you've had like five husbands. Can you think in that? Like the weight that he's saying? He's like, you can't tell me you're okay. Okay. You've been through five entries and five breakups. And, 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 and you're so damaged by all of that. The guy you're with now, you're not even bothering to get married to. So you can, you can tell people all day long that you're just a single lady getting water. But man, your story's so much deeper. And you know what, church? We do the same thing. We've got to cut the crop and we've got to realize that transparency is the only way because here's what I've learned. God will not heal what you do not reveal. God can't heal what you don't reveal until you go to him and say, Lord, this is who I am. I own my stuff. I own my childhood. I own my living situation. I own my sin from college. I own who I am and what I've done. Until you can become transparent with who you are, God can't heal that area that you don't reveal to Him. And so you and I, we've got to cut the crop. We live in a world where everybody's trying to put their best foot forward. But the reality is, we're all in sinking sand. And you and I, we've got to be transparent. The Scripture says in John, actually to confess your sins one to another so that you might be healed. It's not because the act of talking to someone else, magically God comes down and 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 electrocutes that moment and heals you. It's the fact that you've said it out loud. Confess your sin one to another so that you might be healed means I'm telling other people I'm broken. I'm admitting it to myself and I'm admitting it to others. Then you can be healed. Half-hearted surrender leads to healing. Of half a heart, half-hearted surrender leads to the healing of a half a heart. Is it any wonder the lost and dying world around us looks at Christians? And they go, that God is really awesome to you for this much of your life, but I get to see you in all of this glory. And I don't see where God is at work in all of this other stuff you got going on. And they take a step back and they know the truth because they see you every day. And they go, I'm glad your Sunday was nice. But man, you talk about your husband a lot in a negative way. or Or, or you talk about women in a very perverse way. I'm really glad you went to that church. Sounds like a church I'd love to go, go to. But you don't understand that the world sees the truth. And it's no wonder that they don't come to you and say, hey, tell me about the hope that you have. Because they see the full movie. And you're trying to advertise a snapshot and you and I've got to get to a place to where we live transparently about um 7 8 years ago i had the biggest like emotional wreck of my life and 20 or 30 of of our church members were in a room and i sat down and i just poured out my heart i was like this is where i am this is this is what i've been through this is how this this is me Even when we left, my wife was just like, wow, I was really surprised you shared that much detail. I was like, babe, I've got nothing else to hide. I'm just going to live transparently from here on out. Why? There is freedom when Jesus can heal all of it. And when you can be comfortable that you have some highlights and you have some lowlights and you've got stuff you're proud of and you've got stuff you want no one to see. But if you can get to a place to where you say, this is who I am. Good, bad, and different. Let me tell you something. Number one, you'll find full healing at the foot of the cross. Number two, you won't give two craps what humans think of you. It's beautiful. Because you're like, my stuff's out. I've got nothing to hide. Who are you going to say to me? One of my favorite quotes, I was a government major. I have a, grad, a, degree, in, in a degree in in government. In, in and... One of my favorite quotes was Lincoln in his one of his debates. His opponent was talking trash about him for like an hour. Because back then they used to debate and people had attention spans. But the guy finishes and sits down and Lincoln gets up and he goes, well, I'm just glad my opponent doesn't know about me what I know about me. Because it would have been a much longer speech. What was he saying? He's like, For all the trash, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wasn't that. Yeah, I'm a lot worse than what he just said. But here's my policies. (laughs) There's something freeing when you've gone to the Lord and you've gone to others and say, I'm just going to live transparently. I'm not going to try to crop and edit. I'm not going to try to hide. I'm not going to try to pretend that I'm a single woman when I'm actually on my fifth divorce. I'm going to be real. And when I'm real, you have no power over me. And because you have no power over me, now I can just be transparent. And yes, can you, you're worshiping the Lord even though you struggle with that sin? Yeah, I think all sin strugglers should probably worship Jesus. Like who's in? Right? Like that's the way you should live is just to say, yes, I'm not proud that I have a sin I struggle, but all sin strugglers should worship Jesus. I'm going to go there. Every hypocrite should worship Jesus. I'm going to be pro-hypocrites worshiping Jesus. That's where I'm going to be. Why? Because I'm going to be transparent with life and realize that you go up and down and life goes in cycles and circles. But at the end of the day, everybody should be a worshiper of Jesus. And so I don't care anymore to crop and edit and highlight only certain parts so that you like a certain part of me. I want you to love me for me. And I'm going to tell you all of me. I'm going to live transparently. I'm going to live by the Spirit. And I'm going to live in love I'm going to return to kindness. I'm going to ask the Lord to use me for His glory. I'm going to walk with the Spirit of God. I'm going to do it transparently. And I'm going to tell everybody who wants to come with me, here's where you find Jesus.